Creatures that go bump of the night. I'm your host, John, joined as always by my beautiful co-host, Eric. Eric, how are you this week? Fucking fabulous. I am too, because this week we have our first slasher yeah. on the show, which I'm really excited to oh, talk yeah. about because uh, you've uh, we already talked to a couple people he's worked with, and uh, it seems like he's pretty good at putting the fear of God in people. So <laughs> <laughs> super excited. Everybody give it up for Elsie Holt. Love it. Uh, welcome to it, man. Thank you. Thank you very much. Elsie, super excited to have you on the show today. Um, you have been really prolific in the last couple of years for coming up as a slasher. You know, a lot of people will know you as uh, a sheet mask uh, from your next. And a lot of people will know you from everything that you have coming out this year, which is really exciting. Uh, and we'll get into a little bit more of that towards the end of the show. But do you want to tell us a little bit about how you got into the slasher realm? Well, it's kind of a long story um, with the slasher stuff. Well, the first thing I ever did was in the horror realm was this movie called Homesick, which was the first feature film that Adam Wingard directed. And then we worked together after that on a number of short films. And then we did a movie called Pop Skull. And then eventually we did Your Next. Mm-hmm. And then after that, we did um, VHS 2. And, uh, you know, I guess Your Next was the first movie where I became a, a bit of a slasher. But it was a fun experience, that movie. And then after that, I've gone on to do other things. I just did a movie called uh, Phantom Fun World. Um, oh, we're so hype. <laughs> we're so excited for that. I play the Phantom in that movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I'm going back into the pure slasher character um realm tori jones wrote and directed that that film and a lot of other movies which i'm sure we'll eventually talk about but that's basically how it got started for me in the slasher realm most definitely um so you had a very classic pick this week which i'm excited for because this is typically one we would do and call in which we will call our grandma's secret seller special uh so you picked the Dawn of the Dead, 1978. So the yeah. or, the original Romero. So one of the things we go through in this show is what was your first impression? Like the first time you watched this movie, like what was something that kind of like grabbed you about it? I was blown away by it, to be honest with you. I think it was the first one of the first horror movies that I was exposed to that I just absolutely loved. And mainly because, you know, I. I I'm an actor. I'm known as an actor, but I've always been interested in the writing and the directing side of it. And to me, Dawn of the Dead, George Romero's original, is um, it's sort of like a clock with this casing taken off. You can see all the gears working. As a filmmaker, you can watch it. You can almost sense the cuts, and not in a bad way. Mm-hmm. Um, and you knew that the movie had money. I mean, obviously you need <laughs> and things like that to go and film in a mall uh, and do the things that they did in a mall. But it it just made everything seem possible. It made making a movie yourself seem possible in a way that I had never experienced before that. And then after that, I got into the films of John Cassavetes, which just furthered that idea of of you know, how possible it was because it's kind of the beauty of the movie is how imperfect it is technically. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I love that about the early Romero stuff. I really did. I loved his style. I loved when he was an editor and the mm-hmm. way he cut 
it's very distinctive. Nobody else really cut like he cut. Most definitely. I think that kind of added to a lot of the intensity uh, for like those sharper cuts like you're talking about between scenes, especially, you know, trying to play with all of that dialogue and stuff. And I think it helps, too, when, you know, you're best friends with Tom Savini. So <laughs> uh, that was a match made in heaven. Those two met when they were both young. And uh, I think Savini was a bit younger than Romero was. But I mean, what a perfect duo. And they went on. For years and years after this movie, you know, obviously they did Martin before it, which Martin is another great example of a of an early Romero movie um, that I love. Actually, I really love Martin. I'd love to work with John Applis, who played Martin. Okay. And he's in this movie. He's in uh, Dawn of the Dead, of course. He plays several. Yeah. yeah, they definitely were good about reusing people at that point, especially in the Romero circle. Um, uh, Eric, what about yourself? What about because this was your first watch, correct? This is my second time. This okay. is my first time watching it with a critical eye. Let's put it that way. <laughs> uh, this is my second time watching it overall. And the thing that stands out for this movie is um, when you're looking at things that came out after this, and I'm not specifically talking about like the remake of Dawn of the Dead, but just zombie films in general, you see this is kind of the school where it all right. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's a lot in the plot line. I mean, one of the one of the like subtexts of the movie that I really enjoy watching how much humanity was in everyone's faces at the beginning and they're watching people that they've known personally that they are turning and they're killing and they have to be the one to actually put an end to it and as the film progresses that gets easier and easier the characters the big four that we follow sort of slip into this madness and that kind of thing and that whole sense of storytelling is very romero but it's also very zombie i mean it's echoed in other zombie movies mm-hmm. throughout time right um, and it's just a blueprint. I mean, straight up, I mean, it's it's a rock solid, you know, it is what it is. Totally. This was uh, definitely one of my favorites. And it was funny because like Romero for me was one of those uh, directors that in my generation, I think the first one I saw was the uh, uh, the remake of Dawn of the Dead. And then I moved on to Diary of the Dead, Land of the Dead. And it's it's funny because like I feel like even those are there's such a big time gap in a lot of these. I feel like all of the worlds that George Romero has built are canon. Like even so, like there's a moment in uh, I think it's Diary of the Dead where they find one of the diaries from a character that's in Land of the Dead. I thought that was really cool, and his world building around what are no longer blue people. I think they wound up getting grayish after a while, but. <laughs> Um, there was a lot of there's a lot of fun in it. And I think uh, and actually for one of my first impressions, again, looking at it with a critical eye this time is I never noticed that Argento was the script editor. Mm-hmm. And that's incredible. Like this was one hell of a team between Savini, Romero and Argento all in the same movie. It's like, of course, this was the blueprint for everybody. <laughs> like, you had all of the 70s and like late 60s Masters of Horror making it for them. Yeah, I mean, Romero was really the guy that, that uh, well, rather, Argento was the guy that got it moving. Because mm. he had come to Romero and said, you know, she said, do you want to make a sequel to Night of the Living Dead? And Romero said, well, as a matter of fact, I'm writing a sequel. <laughs> and Argento was like, well, we'll put in half the budget from Italy, and you put in the other half from America, and we'll, and we'll make a sequel. And, and apparently Argento was just like, write whatever you want to make. Right. You know, I mean, uh, 
<laughs> just put my name in it. And I want to do the coloration. <laughs> yeah, and then Goblin. Goblin got in okay. there. <laughs> <laughs> so Romero, they, there are many different versions of this movie, you know, mm. uh, as was the case of horror movies at that particular time, especially. Because, you know, Romero did the American version, and then Argento cut the Italian and international version. <laughs> so, so he got a totally different set of footage for what he wanted to display. The Argento cut um, is shorter. It's about an hour and a half-ish. And uh, it has a lot more Goblin in it. <laughs> and uh, the Romero cuts are a lot more epic. You know, they're longer. And they have more, you know, that sort of stock music that right. liked at that particular time. Which, the stock music, to me, it I understand why he liked it. But without having a composer doing it all the way through, you kind of got a little bit of the music was inconsistent at times. You know, sometimes he would do the 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 stock music and then he'd put Goblin in and then he'd go back to stock music. And, mm-hmm. and um, I mean, that was a little I don't know. I like the Goblin stuff myself. It's funny you say that because I actually said something to Eric okay, while we were yeah. while we were watching this. Uh, and first of all, the EQ in this one felt weird because, like you're saying, you're bouncing between stock and you're bouncing between Goblin. But at the same time, I was just like, there would be so much chaos, and it felt like Romero was experimenting with putting music in instead of like having the composer for like Night of the Living Dead and shit like that. Sound design in general, certainly. It it was yeah. it was rough because like we were I, I'm a closed captions guy. I know a lot of people hate it. I always like to make sure that I like when you're watching like you know Friday the Thirteenth the original cut. Like some of those sounds are like hard to pick up what people are saying. But we were watching it on YouTube, and YouTube doesn't know how to close caption shit. Right. <laughs> right. We should have kept a list of, like, the greatest hits from the translations. I think my favorite was when they called Peter a cop. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they'll flyboy Bible at one point. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Or they'll cut out most of the dialogue, and it'll just say, like, so, and then on, in parentheses underneath it just says music. So, like, so no, 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 music. And I'll, I'll leave this, but there was a point where they were practicing firing guns at mannequins, and the subtitle said applause. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. Uh, I'm super excited about this pick, so if we want to jump right on into it. Yeah, right? let's go for it. So uh, much uh, like the remake, you kind of just get thrown into the midst of chaos, right? Like we start off at this broadcasting station, which has the most hideous carpeting on the walls that I've ever seen. Yeah, like fucking arguing. <laughs> it's, like, it's like that uh, anytime anyone has ever seen like a political debate happen on a live news network somewhere where there's like eight people that are talking over each other saying conflicting things. Because you have the guy that's up top that's like, somebody get up here that knows how to fucking run this thing. And yeah. I'm like, you paid, you have one person? You paid one person to fucking figure out how to run this bitch? People are fucking quitting. People are fucking like getting promotions at the same time. It's <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I got, I'll do it for three times my salary. Right. And then you get uh, Romero as a cameo in the beginning. And I love that. Yeah. I love the insertion like that. You know what I mean? And his wife, his soon to be wife is sitting right next to him. Did they meet on set, or was he just that smooth? They met. No, they met on the movie before Martin. Oh, okay. She played uh, uh, John Amplis's his, his, uh, cousin or whatever niece, uh, whatever she was. Mm-hmm. Her name was Christine Forrest, and in this movie, she's credit. She says assistant director for the film, but she also plays the assistant director sitting beside him at the console. <laughs> uh, and, 
she's still Christine Forrest. And then they got married after it. And then she became Christine Romero for many, many years. That's said, I know where I'm putting you in the movie. <laughs> right, right next to Daddy Romero. Right. Right. <laughs> he was trying to keep his eyes on her. There were a lot of people on that set. <laughs> she could have gotten sniped up. Mm-hmm. And she got a good line in there, too. She, he was like, give me the new list. And she goes, uh, yeah, I'll just pull it out of my ass, right? Yeah. <laughs> I was lucky enough to catch that because, again, that was one of the closed captions that was uh, music. <laughs> <laughs> you got 30 people screaming at each other. And the best YouTube can do is like, well, there's music playing. Right. <laughs> it's good shit. So the whole premise, though, is that, like, the United States is being devastated by this, like, some kind of plague, quote unquote, for lack of a better way of putting it, that's reanimating recently deceased people, right? And we're what was funny to me is having experienced a pandemic where there's a lot of, you know, 2020 being what it was, having a lot of talking heads, some of which were more educated, some of which were less arguing about like the science and the realism and what the threats are and that kind of thing on live television was fucking fascinating to me because it wasn't that far off from what we saw in Donovan. <laughs> so that was kind of cool that's how i felt with the crazies was like yeah. it, it's just like and what i feel like romero really emphasizes in a lot of these movies that i love is he's like dude fuck the government because <laughs> yeah. this is what's gonna happen yeah. when something happens right. he was very much fuck the government <laughs> yeah that's a theme that ran all the way through his movies <laughs> you notice he's never a big fan of of Big Brother, or mm-hmm. anybody that's like, because you know, later in his life, Romero left the United States and moved to Canada because George mm-hmm. W. Bush was president. And I felt that. Yeah, he got <laughs> he got the hell out, and it was like I'm just leaving. He never liked government, and it always kind of ran through his movies. You know, with uh, I don't think that he was critical necessarily of the military. I think he was more critical of militant force. Yeah. yeah. You know. Uh, which he plays in with this movie as well, because you have the military and then you have these militant people on the on the bikes, which I'm sure we'll get to the <laughs> motorcycle gang, which is like a militia in and of itself. You know, and uh, he always sort of liked to sat- satirize that stuff. Uh, oh, yeah, because like the the scene that we kind of get to, like in the midst of the chaos. And this was kind of an issue that I took with the movie is uh, when uh I think this is right before we get to the apartment complex. Um, There's like a robbery or something that's in place. Again, there's a lot of chaos in the midst of everything. And the military is there and they start like repeating themselves. And they're like, I'm going to blow his ass away. I'm going to blow his ass. I'm going to blow his ass. I'm going to blow his ass. And then they just start throwing slurs down. And I was like, okay, it's the times. It's also like creative direction. Like I get that. Like you're creating a character that's probably about to fucking die again military authoritative figures having predispositions towards certain minorities. totally my issue was not the fact that they developed that character my issue was when the quote-unquote puerto rican character comes out i was like i stopped the movie and like paused it i was like that's a white dude (laughs) that that is a white dude in brown face the funny part is like he puts his hands up and he's wearing like short sleeves and his arms are just white. Right. <laughs> and you know, that's, that's John Amplis. That's the guy that played Martin in the oh early. Oh my God. <laughs> I couldn't even recognize him through the Puerto Rican face. <laughs> he's like, he's the one that bursts out and says, Oh, there's a thousand pigs 
<laughs> yeah, that's John Amplis. He's in this movie a lot, actually. He's he plays several different characters. Mm-hmm. I wish I could caught on to that. I think I was just so like taken aback because I, I think for me, it's like the sound of the time is like, I'm always trying to hear what they're saying. Yeah. And like, even in like some of the rooms, like later on when we get to um, uh, one of the characters deaths, I was like listening to the room and it was so hot. Mm-hmm. Like the gain was so fucking high in that room. It's just this hiss going on. And I was like, I just don't feel like that was creative. I think that was an accident. <laughs> It should have been yeah. more Goblin. Yeah, I don't think... It, it, there's a box set that's, like, remastered where they fixed a lot of that, the technical stuff like that. Um, uh, and I have it. It came out right around the time of the remake of Dawn of the Dead. And mm-hmm. it has the theatrical cut. It has the longer original director's cut. And then it has Argento's cut and documentaries. It's, like, four discs. And uh, though the remastered version, it eliminates a lot of that technical, the hiss and stuff like that. I feel like I really miss that. Yeah. Like when when movies would do shit like that, where it's like, okay, well, there's four versions. You can get all of them for like 20 yeah. bucks. <laughs> I have that box set. It's in the other room. But yeah, it's really cool. I pop it in often to watch the different versions, the different cuts, you know, because there's a long and then there's the slightly shorter and then there's a, a lot shorter, the Argento cut. Do you have a favorite cut? I, yeah. Say, yeah. <laughs> I like, personally, I like the the long cut because That's the original... two and a half, right? I think it's a little over two and a half. Okay, because yeah. we watched the two and a half cut, which I think is like the baseline cut. Yeah, it's because it, that cut is the cut that went to the Cannes Film Festival. It premiered, and then they did a, a, a theatrical cut that was a little shorter, and then the Argento cut was a lot shorter because Argento was like people. And I guess he was like Italians don't want to sit through a two and a half hour movie, dude. <laughs> I cut this down to about ninety minutes. Uh, but that cut has a lot of cool. If you just want to watch it purely for plot and not and get a bunch of good goblin music and not care too much about the satire and the Mm -hmm. the near stuff watch the argento cut because it's just the straight story you know i agree with you in general because i think i got spoiled when peter jackson decided to re-release like six extra hours of that shit (laughs) (laughs) i actually prefer this yeah 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 no seriously that's 100 percent what it is you fall in love with the world you want to spend more time in it right (laughs) <laughs> that's very much what it was with me on dawn of the dead i mean when i was first discovered this when i was a kid my brother who is not at all into horror movies he's probably never seen a, a movie that i was in um he he liked more fantasy stuff but i was watching it and my brother sat down and was watching it and he was like man that would be fun talking about living inside of a mall and having it all to yourself and going around and shooting the zombies to get them, you know, to clear the place out. And it's like, they're in the car, they're driving in the car inside a mall. (laughs) And it's like, yeah, this is kind of weird fantasy uh, where you go, man, that would be really cool to live in a mall because you're kind of protected. uh, once, Once you kill all the zombies that are trapped in there, and but that's ultimately kind of what the movie is about, you know, in mm-hmm. the sense that they get everything that they wanted and then they just become totally complacent, like they have nothing to do. Yeah, actually, that's one of my favorite scenes when they're uh, 
we'll obviously get to it here in a bit, but like the scene where you have uh, your ma- your core group. So you have uh, Peter, I believe Steven is his name as well. And uh, Francine are all living in like the say what Roger as well. Oh, uh, Roger was still. Oh, yeah. He was still alive at this point. But the scene where they're all just like in this makeshift apartment surrounded by boxes and. Francine's just like, I just don't understand how we live like this. And I was like, you have a mini fridge, dude. Like, you don't even have to go down. To... You're a survival scenario. <laughs> you have power yeah. in the apocalypse. <laughs> and running water. Yeah. And probably a lifetime supply of toilet paper. Right. You're wearing a mink. <laughs> that shit was literally gold during the <laughs> pandemic. <laughs> I would love to have seen if Romero had lived through the pandemic. Because I think we would have gotten a hell of a good zombie movie out of that. Oh, hell yeah. He would have loved it. It would have been like the crazies, but with like better special effects yeah. for like today's world. Yeah, yeah. Which I'd have been super into. I'd have, like, that's still my favorite Romero film by like, uh, there's a, there's plenty of reasons why it's like, and I know sometimes people say it's not technically a zombie movie, so it's a little give and take with that, but it's weird because like the, um, the remake was very much a zombie movie. And the original, and the the original though was just like, oh, he's just kind of going crazy and having sex with his daughter, like, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like it was just so, so more, so much more cerebral, I guess. Um, Whereas like a lot of the zombies, like in this world, um, there's still like that aspect of like instinct that they talk about a lot too. And I thought that was a really cool. I guess like borderline self-awareness. Yeah. Yeah. Um, where it's like, they have the, because like, you know, you think about like 28 days later and even those zombies are just like, we run, we kill, we die. Period. (laughs) Yeah. Romero was really, got really, when his films, his zombie films, he got really into the idea of the evolution of a zombie, you know, because at night they're all pretty, you know, they're still dumb. (laughs) <laughs> and dawn you know you get to that point and you it, it really starts with the guy with the guns the two mm-hmm. he get the the zombie gets the one gun and then at the end you know roger or i'm sorry peter has the other gun and he catches it and he looks at the two and he chooses one you know he likes this one. <laughs> yeah and then you got into day of the dead with bub and bub is starting to really remember things you know <laughs> right uh that was actually one of my favorites was when uh John Leguizamo was almost like continent or yeah, continent enough to like recognize the guy that had been fucking him over the whole time while he was in zombie form. And that's where I was like, Oh, so like these guys really do evolve because like any, like an ant can walk over a hammer. You know what I mean? Is it using it? No. (laughs) And that, that was with, yeah, with land of the dead, you really got to see them getting, smarter you know because at that when that movie opens with land of the dead you know there there's the guy at the gas station it comes out and he's he knows that the sound of the ring means that a car pulled up so he comes out and he gets the the gas pump and he's like where's the car you know the zombie is trying to figure (laughs) out where to put the gas pump so then by that point you know yeah they were getting really they were they were remembering how to be human again or at least trying to and that's that's also you know again rock solid science from like a pandemic standpoint or some kind of bacterial growth evolutionary standpoint because if something were to survive it wouldn't kill its host it would have to learn how to all beyond the meat 
the mm-hmm. killing it, right? Yeah, the virus so doesn't want to die. It makes <laughs> sense. And so, again, I think it's more just Romero genius on top of all that, too. Yeah, yeah. And I think, like, by this point is where we start to, like, because we, we're in the, you know, once we're in the apartment complex, mm-hmm. that's where, like, we really start to first see our zombies. We finally, we get to see, like, my favorite's the guy with the afro that's just blue. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. He looked like he was straight out of the Eiffel 65 video. <laughs> <laughs> but like that, those special effects were so surreal, so, so surreal to see mm-hmm. with like him biting into her and like tearing part of her fucking item. Yeah. You said trapezius last time, but that's a bone. I don't know what fucking muscle that is. Yeah, though. it's a trap muscle. I mean, that's yeah. what it is. Yeah. Oh, cool. not a doctor (laughs) as someone who's been in the acting world like what do you think about when you see scenes like that because like obviously there's a lot of special effects that go into it it's like okay we need to not fuck this up because we can't do this six times kind of thing well when i look at it i i what i think of most is how lucky the actors who played zombies in dawn of the dead were because basically it was just grease paint you know there were some zombies, obviously, that had appliances, but they weren't ma- none of the zombies had major appliances. Mm-hmm. You know, when you got to Day of the Dead, there were some major appliances there. And having gone through um, appliance and foam latex and all that kind of thing, it's not always the most fun thing to do. Um, so those zombies in Dawn of the Dead were really lucky that they hadn't really rotted out yet because they got <laughs> to just put on some grease paint and... And, you know, I know uh, Savini has has said that, um, you know, he had a lot of problem with the fact that they look blue and green and all that because the grease paint was gray. But with the different color temperatures, it, it sometimes, depending on if it was daylight or if it was fluorescence or if it was, it would read as like blue or green or he mastered how to fix that by the next movie, you know, and I know he really didn't like the color of the blood in Dawn of the Dead because he thought it looked too red. That's so funny because I fucking loved that. I loved that, like, when it hit the wall, it was just, like, vibrant. <laughs> well, and that was Romero's thing, too, because he said, well, I think it. He, he thought it made it more like a comic book. That it doesn't look totally realistic. Everything's bright colors and the blood is really, really red and. I guess he thought of Dawn of the Dead more as a comic book than as a reality. Whereas in Day of the Dead, it became a lot grosser. I mean, I mean it, everything looked real. Like the blood looked real and the effects looked real and the, everything looked like they were rotting and stuff. And Dawn, they were still in this kind of weird blue green, bright red blood. <laughs> I, I dig it too. I mean, I think for this movie, how, how fun the movie is and how it has goofy stuff here and there you know it's not taking itself 100 percent seriously all the time i think it works for for this movie i don't think it would have worked for day of the dead yeah no probably not because again like like you're saying like they're actually like decroted and fucking gross and your blood does not look that shiny by by the end of that yeah day of the dead is a lot it's a lot less it's a lot more darker more serious too in spite of joe polito (laughs) So on the the conversation of blood and movies, then, uh, so I I shot my first for, uh, short film this weekend, and one of the things I was talking about the director with leading up to it is what kind of blood to use, and I didn't realize the serious fucking array of blood that is out there. 
yeah. So do you have a favorite like uh, textural blood that you like to use, like color wise, like anything to compare it to or super viscous like it is in like the Evil Dead remakes or kind of what, what do you usually look for? When I'm directing something, I tend to like the blood to look real darker. You mm-hmm. know, this blood generally is darker until it runs and sort of thins out and then you see the red. But, you know, there are different kinds of blood. Just from an actor point of view, you know, there's mouth blood they'll put in your mouth and it's of a certain viscosity. And then there's like a drier sort of more uh, thick blood that they'll put if something is dried on your face or or and, you know, they use different blood for like gunshots and stuff. With Dawn of the Dead, I don't I think they just use one kind of blood. <laughs> it was always super <laughs> blood. They just put it everywhere, you know. But generally, in order to make things look more realistic, that they'll have like four or five different kinds of blood. Uh, the special effects guy will say, well, what, what kind of blood do you want here? I mean, do you want the real liquid blood? Do you want the real, you know, what looks good on camera in terms of something, you know, if, it, if someone's being shot and it's coming out of them? Or do you want like, you know, more dried on blood, which is like this paste that they just kind of put, you know, take a like a knife and just put it on your face <laughs> oh accidentally cut you sorry <laughs> oh, it's, real. <laughs> it's mixed with the, yeah I, well it's real now go roll roll camera <laughs> yeah i think the the blood's really fun in this one because there's a lot of like uh explosive tendencies i feel like and that was where tom savini really shined in this movie there's a lot of head explosions right a lot of head explosions. Yeah, a lot of, of phony heads getting shot with real shotguns, which back then that's what Savini did. You know, he would, it's like <laughs> the guy at the beginning of this movie in the in the little project scene, you know, he gets shot and his whole head explodes. They just put a, a hollowed out head, filled it with blood and some Cheetos and stuff and just shot it with a shotgun. <laughs> that's that's just how they did it, you know. That's how he did it in Maniac too. When Tom Savini, uh, when he playing the guy in the car gets shot, mm. shot him through the windshield with a real shotgun, you know. Uh, <laughs> don't think that would fly on modern sets for for many different uh, reasons. Um, I think there's plenty now. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's something that we'll ever see again. <laughs> so were all of the guns on that set real? No, not on Dawn. Uh, no. Okay, I didn't. I wasn't sure about like when the uh, the modern uh, idea of like prop guns really came about. I, probably, it, it's a pretty old thing. They probably should have not had a shotgun on Dawn of the Dead. <laughs> <laughs> shoot off a fake head, but um, you know that movie was a little. You know, this was before Romero was working with like SAG, and he was still, you know damn people i mean you know it wasn't a union movie in other words so you could get away with a lot more on a non-union movie (laughs) and if you did a non-union movie today and there's any kind of live rounds on that set yeah there's just it's not it's not gonna fly i'm gonna need you to sit with this apple on your head for like five minutes (laughs) comes back with a fucking 30 cal But yeah, so we kind of move into uh, the apartment where it was it was funny because uh, Romero, I feel like we were talking about earlier, does a lot of uh, social commentary in his movies. And he does it in a very subtle way, because I feel like when people talk about uh, Dawn of the Dead, especially, there's a lot that revolves around 
the mall scenes and the fact that like instinctually and Eric put it the best here is like, <laughs> we're just going back to capitalism, uh, like feeding back into that, which is true. And that's a point to the movie, but almost every person in that fucking apartment complex was a person of color. They, right. they literally did like a genocidal raid in the beginning of this fucking movie. And I was going to ask if there was any motive why they would raid like that and, you know, take names and lives and all that shit. I think that's what Romero was saying. I think there was a real point to why it was, you know, an African-American and Puerto Rican sort of project and why the police were, were behaving the way they were there. You know, I, I don't think that that was an accident. I think he was really making a statement about police um, brutality and, and, and how those people are being treated differently. You know, it's like when the, the guy, which I love that shot with the guy with the one crutch for a leg, you know, eight <laughs> shots where he's like, you know, uh, when the dead walk, you, you have to stop the killing or you lose the war. You know, I, I, Romero is not having a character say that he's telling the audience a, he's making a point. Right. That was my character. <laughs> um, it's not just within the world of zombies, which it makes sense in the world of zombies. But I think what he's saying is, you know, you, you're 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 killing people and you can't move forward as a society with doing what you, you've been doing here in this tenement. Do you know what I mean? Totally. Because like you were saying, man, like they weren't like they were just. I think this felt like he was saying, oh, well, the world's ending and all the police are like, now's our chance. Exactly. <laughs> because the and then and it's, it's like total racist. And it's really exemplified with the one character who is obviously a, a horrible, horrible person who's just wa- running from door to door, literally blowing people's heads off. Not because they're dead, but because he just <laughs> has a opportunity. <laughs> And that was such a crazy shot to it. It was like, don't open that door. And it was just like, oh, well, that made a lot of sense. Right. It made a lot of sense. And like there was so much gravity in what felt like a scene that was just bam, 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 mm-hmm. like all over the place. And there was just so much that was kind of packed into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and Peter ends up taking him down, right? Uh, I think, it yeah. Was, it was yeah. the officer from the mm-hmm. other unit, which I guess was Peter. Yeah. That would have made sense yeah. considering who we can probably go ahead and say now is the most gangster character in this entire fucking movie. Like I love Peter. I mean, I I love, I love Ken as well. Like as an actor, I think he's incredibly talented. Um, and it's, it's really funny to see him have like such a grassroots and horror. And then like, cause my, obviously like I grew I mean, I was born in 92. So like my first real interaction with seeing him in anything was the devil's rejects. And he was fucking like for a character that's like not on screen. A lot of the time he stole every scene that he was in, you know, (laughs) you know, I love you like a brother, but I do love my cocaine more. (laughs) That dude killed it. And I've done some conventions with Ken. Ken is a really good guy. Um, He's a big dude. He's a, he's an, he's a, a very uh, striking presence. (laughs) I was going to say, because he comes across as like, almost like if I were standing next to him, he could break my back like Bane. <laughs> and he's like 75 years old. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, he's a big guy. He's um, he's cool as ice, Ken. Cool. What uh, what convention were we all at together, if you don't mind my asking? I'm trying to think which one. It was, in, it was one of the ones I did in New Jersey. 
I do believe, because uh, I went up to Ken and I said, um, first time I met him, because for the longest time, IMDb said he was from, he was born in Mobile, Alabama, and I was born in Alabama. And I came up to uh, to to Ken and I was like, so you were, you're from Alabama? And he's like, no. <laughs> he's like, I've never even been to Alabama. I don't know where they got that. That's in <laughs> I was born in, uh, I think he said he was, I think he might have been born in New York. He was born in, I can't remember where he said, but it wasn't Alabama, I'll say that. So I hope IMDb has corrected that. I don't know, they still think that Lauren Levera is 44, so. Oh, God. <laughs> I was like, yeah, totally. The, the I mean, they did it on Ferris Bueller's Day Off. You know, Matthew Broderick was like 35. Right. <laughs> but anyways, we, we kind of cut back to the studio, right? At this point, Ken Forey was born in Indianapolis, Indiana. Yeah, uh, just to go ahead and settle that bet. They did my boy right. Oh, got there. <laughs> yeah. Not I'm Mobile. Talking. No. <laughs> Mobile, Indianapolis. Um, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, the concept being that essentially there's a helicopter on the roof. It's like the news helicopter. And the people that run the weather and the traffic report are utilizing this helicopter. Fuck it. We can just fly over all this shit. Right. Genius. Great idea. Yeah. So um, the male, per- what's the guy's name um, that knows Peter? Roger? Steven? Yeah, yeah, yeah Steven. Yeah. yeah. So Steven's like, hey, I've got my buddy Peter coming. And they sort of, the idea is to sort of like get together, put four people in a chopper and let's fly as far away from this as we can. They place the land. Mm-hmm. Right. This is also the first point where I realized where we were because they said something about being in Philly. And I was like, OK, cool. Now now it all makes sense. <laughs> you can see the stadium burning in the background. I feel like a lot of I feel like a lot of older movies are really notorious for like not telling you what people's names are or where you are. <laughs> and I, I get that sometimes it's like, you know, you're in hell. <laughs> I don't need to spell that out for you. But then there's times where it's like. Yeah, you like could tell me where we're at. Like in Batman, we're in Gotham. That makes sense. We already knew that walking into it, and they told you eight times as soon as the movie fucking started that you're in Gotham. Gives me a frame of reference. (laughs) Well, if it's a Romero movie, you know it's going to be in Pennsylvania somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, we came to find that actually, and when we get to the mall, we'll talk about that here in a second. Um, (laughs) Romero and M Night Shyamalan, you know it's going to be in Pennsylvania. No kidding. Well, I didn't realize that Shyamalan did so much up there. I don't know how many films Shyamalan has set, and it, it it's like in, when you watch Signs, it's like it comes up at the bottom, like you know, 50 miles from Philadelphia. Like he wanted to make sure you knew we're still in Pennsylvania, guys. <laughs> the last Airbender was also in Pennsylvania. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think only the people in Pennsylvania went to see that movie. <laughs> Everything changed when the Steelers attacked. <laughs> Um, yeah, right. Well, um, anyways, we're, we're in the helicopter and we get to, uh, w- one of my, fa- uh, favorite scenes is we're flying over and I put it down as like a redneck's wet dream because it's, it's just all of them. Sh- like everyone's just drinking schlitz and shooting shit. Like, it, 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 yeah, it was... I've never heard that expression before. Just come up with that? <laughs> well, schlitz is delicious. So that okay. kind of writes itself. Yeah. But there was, uh, just like the point too, where they're like, Oh, they're like all just like sitting under a tree with rifles. And they're like, Oh, what's coming up? Get them. And they just shoot the fucking car. That's in the middle of the field. that explodes. Yeah. <laughs> Social commentary, perhaps. <laughs> it's, it's one of many, um, uh, continuity errors in this movie. <laughs> oh, uh, 
There are quite a few. If you, yeah, because when the shot you're talking about, where he shoots the car and the car explodes mm -hmm. with a zombie next to it, they shoot a, a zombie and he falls in the foreground, and then they're like, "Oh, shoot the old car!" And they shoot the car, and when the car explodes, it kills the zombie that's standing beside the car. But the one in the, they just shot disappears. <laughs> There's a lot of those little continuity. I think there are books actually. This movie is so popular. There are like <laughs> books that go through the continuity errors, you know. And I, I've spotted quite a few myself. That's the level of prolific that I want to become shitty of a job. <laughs> like, that's fantastic. Let your haters be your oh motivators. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the thing. And and that's the thing about this movie in particular is is there's so many people love it. They even celebrate the continuity errors. Isn't that great? They're like, they're like, I love that I see the trampoline when the truck hits him. I love that. <laughs> I would love to see like a festival of that where people are like, you see like a blood, like blowout of the back of your yeah. skull, but there's no hole in the front. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because I definitely saw that happen about yeah, four or five fucking yeah. times in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> it was so it happens a lot. Yeah. Uh, one of them actually in particular, I can't remember which, I think it was actually in the apartment scene is like one of the recently changed zombies is like sitting on the couch and uh, you hear the gunshot and you see the blood, but the blood's thrown from the side, like <laughs> at his face and he falls back and it, it's so good. It's so good. <laughs> you can't make that shit up. And you know, that's just Savini right off camera with a brush, you know, <laughs> I'd love to see him with like a Mister bottle. <laughs> <laughs> Don't put it past him. I, I what? So I mean, like this is a good dude who seems like he is probably the most fun on earth to be on set with because he's just he just comes across as fucking wild. Like he seems like he's a nice guy, but he seems like he's a fucking wild dude. Savini. Savini. I would think so. Just and maybe that's just like watching other characters that he's played from like Dust Till Dawn and shit like that. But I think he was. I think he was really into it back then. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because there's like one in particular that just sounded like a lot of fun. Like he was talking about being on the uh, set for Friday the 13th and the scene where uh, they kill Kevin Bacon's character. They put the knife through his neck from the bottom. So the blood pack, uh, the tubing uh, disconnected, I guess, wherever the pressurized part was coming from for the pack. So the guy that was under there with him, which is funny because, you know, you have Kevin Bacon's body and then you have uh, Tom Savini and like his assistant on set. And he just tells his assistant to start blowing into the tube and he just starts blowing the blood out of his neck, which is why you get that like. Yeah. And the <laughs> bubbles, the bubbles come out. <laughs> that that really made that made the effect a million times better, I think, with the bubbles. Oh, totally. Because it's like it's like air coming out of your trachea or something. Yeah. But it was just very off the cuff, and they were like, we got it. <laughs> Keep rolling. There was a lot of that back then in this era of this kind of budget movie, you know? You know, that's sort of like ingenuity. Well, that's the thing I love about it, was that ingenuity. You just had to figure it out. You know, you just had to... It's like a magic trick. You just figure out how do the parts work, and how do we make this happen? And probably one of the problems I had with later Romero movies is it was, you know, once you got into diary and then survival mm -hmm. and all it was it was just like i kind of felt like there was too much cgi and the cgi mm -hmm. didn't really work for me oh totally and i think that's horror in general yeah i think in general but 
I, I mean, I was, it's always kind of a shame for, for George Romero, though, because he was such a practical guy for so long. Um, it's a little bit of a shame to see the last few of his movies have some really bad CGI in them, you know. Well, and with the ingenuity thing, when they're leaving uh, Philly in the helicopter, I'm actually glad you brought that up because one of the things that was so enchanting about that scene was uh, the apartment tower that they fly by and you see the lights start yeah. to go off on each level. I fucking loved that. I loved that because, again, you don't have the CGI, you don't have those kinds of effects. But when you saw that, you were like, it was it was the creepiest moment to me because it was like that moment of descent starting to really happen. Like the takeover was happening. I thought that was really fucking amazing for its time. You, you know, that's just a director's wet dream. <laughs> Did you see those lights go out? Did you catch that? You know, you. I mean, that's one of those things that, I mean, it's brilliant, but you know they didn't arrange that. Yeah. <laughs> They're not just all walkie-talkies from three miles away, like, turn yeah. them off. Yeah. Hit it! Lock Kobe <laughs> out for the weekend, too. <laughs> <laughs> It was. It was like an office building. It was like a fucking true lion or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyways, yeah, we, we get into, um, uh, I guess we have to land, right? We have to get some gas at this say, point. I talk about the fuel up sequence, because there's a couple of close calls that happen along the way. Um, I think everybody's like completely aware that at this point, if you get bitten by one of these fuckers, you're going to turn into one of them. Mm-hmm. And the rest of us have to kill you, so don't do that. <laughs> um, do you have what it takes? You have what it takes to kill him. I want to talk about my favorite zombie in the whole oh. during this landing <laughs> sequence here. The one that gets up on the, as the helicopter is being refilled, he gets up on a box and his head pop, it gets lopped off by the blades of the helicopter. Um, it's hysterical in its own right. But when I, found, I actually did the replay on that one because I was in tears. Was so funny because <laughs> the way the other dude is just kind of standing there and not reacting to what just happened. He's just continuing to pump the gas. It was fantastic. Um, but digging into the trivia on IMDb, this was actually a friend of Savini's who he cast specifically for this zombie because he needed somebody that could pull this effect off. And this man had a notoriously low. So they could build a head on top of his low forehead to be knocked off by the propeller. <laughs> That's outrageous. It was a non-union movie. It was a real exactly. helicopter blade. <laughs> we need somebody with a flat low forehead for this fucking scene. <laughs> and now this guy has spent the last 40 years making money at conventions. And that brilliant. <laughs> fucking brilliant. Low forehead zombie. Good for him. Good for him. Dude, I would. I would go to every con, like, with the same getup, like, just blood running down my face, top of my skull's missing. People coming up to you dressed as a helicopter. (laughs) 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 You've got, like, kids in just, like, their little costumes, like... (laughs) That's That's a pretty cool idea, um... I don't know who came up with that, whether it was a Romero or a Savini thing, because I know Savini would throw out ideas and they would just do them. Like he was like, what if we just stick a screwdriver in this guy's ear or something? You know, it was like and Romero apparently was just like, OK, cool, let's do it. You know? <laughs> that, that is an actual story, though. When we get there, we'll get to the screwdriver. There's a reason why the screwdriver happened. 
sick. I hope it's going to explain why he turned it, too. Because that was hilarious to me when the fucking screwdriver goes in and he fucking goes to twist it. Yeah, Roger's just a little bastard. He's a mean little bastard. <laughs> but yeah, so we kind of fuel up and we're going to our final destination, right? Yeah, more or less. Unless there's, there's anything exchange. we want to hit in well, between. It's just a brief exchange where um, there, uh, uh, Peter gets caught in the middle of a crossfire, at which point he was on the receiving end of a sh- or the business end of a rifle, and he had to get out of the way to ensure that he didn't get hit by whatever came out of the back end of the zombie. Mm-hmm. So there's a little bit of tension that was building up in that sequence. I don't know if it was worth mentioning. Because you just don't put a fu- point a fucking gun at somebody. It's something you don't intend to kill. <laughs> Yeah. And it, it, it starts the sort of um, thing where we learn that Stephen, poor Stephen, is just completely inept. <laughs> yeah. I do love that, though, with uh, Roger would keep like walking up in front of him and just pull out something smaller and fucking dome it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Roger kept walking up to him, just knocking the gun out of up out of his hand and be like, let me show you how to do this. <laughs> And Steven is totally emasculated throughout the first half of this movie. Like, not everything Steven does, he, he's just a complete jackass. Like, he can't do anything right. Well, he was a princess for so long. He was literally the eye in the sky. All he had to do was tell people the traffic report on the radio that people still listen to. <laughs> right. Flyboy. That's all he did. <laughs> fly high, fly boy. Yeah. Bible. <laughs> Bible. Gaylene Ross playing Fran has the, the, the strangest reaction of all time in the scene where he, he's wrestling with the zombie and she's just like, what do I do? What do I do? She just sort of stands there. But apparently the reason that happened is because Romero t- originally he wrote it where she screams and she runs away. Mm-hmm. And Fran was like, this was in the 70s, you know. So the actress, Gaylene Ross, was like, I'm not going to scream and run away. Like. I'm not doing that. That's like what all women in movies do. I'm not going to do it. And so that's why she kind of just kind of stands there, you know. And then, <laughs> so she's really kind of ineffectual still. But she's <laughs> what women actually do in movies, yeah. <laughs> and then that gives Steven the opportunity to get up and, and do one of the most awkward punches, I think, in cinema history. Um <laughs> With with that hammer, I mean, how anyone would would ever hit someone like that? <laughs> uh, a real flailing uh, launch, and still didn't even kill the zombie. Right. <laughs> Fucking Eric went doink. <laughs> it was just like a full body thing that he does, and uh, it's hilarious. That's one of the funniest parts of the movie to me. Oh, totally. Um, I think part of it, too, is like, again, when you have when you compare these characters to people like Peter, who is like the literal fucking man, Mm -hmm. (laughs) everybody else, just like you were saying, like, looks like a jackass next to him. Yeah. And I mean, Roger is is the man, too, but he's just he's just off his. He's just a psycho. Yeah. He's just he doesn't have like Peter. You get the sense this guy has a rationale. You know, he knows what's. (laughs) good and what's not good how to hold back and like roger is just he's well trained and he's very efficient but he's he's ultimately crazy fucking outlaw country (laughs) let's ride uh so we make it to our final destination uh said mall and it was funny because we went up for the wolf hollow premiere and we had kind of two options uh because we were going to be coming up from North Carolina. So that's already about a six and a half hour drive, something like that. 
And I was like, okay, well, we can either A, go to, uh, I think, is it Mooresville or Morrisville uh, Mall? Oh, the mall they shot the movie in? Mm-hmm. Um, it was Monroeville Mall. Monroeville, that's what it is, uh, which is about 15, 20 minutes uh, east of Pittsburgh. But then you have to go like through all of the tunnels and get through all the traffic and all of that crazy shit. So we're like, we can either go there or we can go to Evan City. But in Evan City, we can go to uh, the Night of the Living Dead, uh, Evan's uh, Cemetery, and we can go to the post office uh, where they shot part of the crazies, which yeah. I was pretty much sold on. <laughs> Two for the price of one. That was easy to get to. Seemed a little economic. I was like, Elsie would pick the Romero movie that we didn't go to. <laughs> well, you know, I'm actually, I'm in a movie that came out earlier this year called uh, Terror Trips. And there's a sequence in the movie where I, my character goes to Monroeville Mall. That's crazy. But it was shot with little movie magic here. I might break the illusion. It was shot on green screen. Oh, gotcha. I was actually inserted into Monroeville Mall. I've never been to Monroeville Mall. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I hear it's cool. I, they have a zombie museum in there. Mm-hmm. And they have a bust of George Romero in, like, the atrium. So that bust is sitting out front of a Dick Sporting Goods, and I just can't stop fucking... <laughs> I just can't stop fucking laughing about it. Like, I can't take that seriously, because it's, like, it's right next to... The zombie museum that you're talking about, but all I see is like George Romero and dicks. You know what I bet? <laughs> what I would put money on is that that was initially sitting outside of the sporting store that we see multiple times. They reload on shit, <laughs> and it got converted to a dicks at some point because that was the chain. Right. I'd be willing to put money down for that. That'd be hilarious. Put that together in my head. <laughs> I do know that that mall has changed quite a bit. I believe it. It also looks bigger now like it felt like it was a very flat topped mall in the movie compared to what it is now where there's like domes and shit in the front yeah yeah it's like you know i think the escalators are still there but like the skating rink is not there anymore some stores there jc penny's that they it's so prominently used in dawn of the dead isn't there anymore damn it was like because that's when it was just pennies JC hadn't even showed up yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> none of those, I, I'm sure none of those stores are the same. I mean, that's this was from 1977 till now, you know, so a lot can change. <laughs> I would just imagine like the the Romero fans like tying themselves to stores, like <laughs> they you do can it. Even take me, but you'll not take pennies. <laughs> <laughs> the savings. The savings. <laughs> um, so we, we kind of start to like. What's cool about this is. I feel like this movie kind of encompasses what. Uh, uh, the Walking Dead tried to do. But di- and I love The Walking Dead up until a certain point. But I feel like this movie did what Walking Dead was trying to do later. But they did it in like two and a half hours. Mm-hmm. Because you get like you get your core group and your core group finds an outpost and the outpost gets cleaned out, which was just like one of the funniest scenes because you just have like Peter and uh, Roger just running through and just blowing shit up and <laughs> stealing shit. They're like, I'm going to get a mink coat. <laughs> I was like, it must be the fucking 80s or the 70s because uh, I haven't seen a mink coat 
yeah. ever, actually. Shit that doesn't fly anymore. Yeah, it got covered in all that fucking bright red blood. <laughs> well, there's a lot of shit in that movie that they collect. It's like that's in a mall, you know, <laughs> like the, a bank. The, <laughs> you know, the bank, the bandoliers that he's wearing <laughs> at the end. He's he's getting all this stuff that is like. Shit. Oh, and by the way, that 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 um, gun store was not really in the mall. Oh, okay. Bummer. Oh, interesting. <laughs> That was one of a couple. Um, I'll take that bet. Nah. <laughs> one of a couple bits of movie magic. The gun store wasn't really there. That was a real gun store across town. And then the apartment was not in the mall. I was telling Eric, I've always wanted a bandolier so bad. Like, <laughs> I've always just wanted to be strapped up with like shotgun shells. And I was, uh, my partner, uh, her dad does a lot of like, uh, artisanal stuff like he's a welder and does leather work and all that kind of stuff and i was like i want a bandolier but one that you can put a flap over so you can drop speed loaders into that would be super hot Mm -hmm. and a grenade wherever i'm gonna get that (laughs) in a mall apparently it was the it was 78 man yeah that that store did have elephant tusks behind the counter (laughs) (laughs) and i'm sure somewhere in the 70s there was a mall that had a gun store in it it just wasn't Monroeville. Yeah, I couldn't imagine. We're not going to get too much into it, but I really couldn't imagine having a gun store in a fucking mall now. Not these days, no. 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 Because that know. just turns it into a one-stop shop. Good like, a little dark on that one? No, cool. That Let's go. Yeah, no, I like dark humor. That was fine. <laughs> I mean, we were all thinking the same thing. <laughs> no. We can't make it convenient, too. Oh, that's <laughs> that's fucking crazy. So anyways, uh, we get most of the... Uh, mall pretty cleared out. Do we have some favorite zombie kills in this area? Not in this one for me. What about you, Elsie? Um, when they're clearing out the mall, I can't really think of any favorites in that area. Not later, later for sure. Yeah, it definitely felt like uh, the closer we get to the end, that's where like they just started throwing shit at the wall, and they were like, "We're gonna kill every zombie in the most <laughs> insane fucking way we could think of." Yeah. Well, I guess somewhere in here when they're doing the they're running around, that's when the screwdriver happens, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because the, the story behind the screwdriver is that was a continuity error because um, Roger takes a, a shirt off a rack and puts it, ties the sleeves around his waist and he's walking around it. And I guess when they were shooting the movie later in the scene, he didn't have it. <laughs> so they had to figure out. Where did this, how do we get rid of the sweater that's tied around its waist? And so the way they, they did it is they were they just shot a quick scene where a zombie grabs him and he puts a screwdriver in his ear and the zombie's still holding onto his sweater. So Roger unties it, mm-hmm. the zombie, and walks off. But that's why that whole screwdriver thing was there. And that was one of those Savini things. Because he was like, uh, Romero was like, we got to fix this continuity error. You can, can you come up with a way to kill a zombie? And <laughs> <laughs> I will stick a screwdriver in his ear. We'll get cut off a straw and we'll just put blood through it. And that's what he did. That's how that. <laughs> that was actually like one of my favorite blood moments yeah. too. So that's that's so funny because like especially like the close up of that over that blue skin was just like <laughs> <laughs> very comic book. Yeah, it, and it really felt like that. Like, for a movie that was two and a half hours, it felt like the pacing was actually really, really good. And I think uh, Romero is very good at that. You know, you look at 
Uh, I'm still a purist for the 90 minute. I just think, especially horror, I feel like should be. Um, And I'm sure that's subjective on some level, but I just think that's the best time to get each, each acts 30 minutes plus or minus five kind of thing. You get to tell your entire story. And I think most people you kept your, you kept their attention the entire time. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it depends on the movie too. Totally. Totally. The exorcist. I couldn't imagine that being 90 minutes. Yeah. Or terrifier too. You know, it's, it's like, there's plenty of movies that I just like, I can't like, like even the crazies, you know, and just to bounce around. It's like, there are movies that, I mean, you're totally right. Like there's plenty that it's like, I couldn't imagine this being any different than it already was. I think that's just like a general rule of thumb in my head. Cause some movies it's like, okay, this was, you know, 120 minutes and you felt every minute of it mm-hmm. kind of thing. I think for genre movies, especially horror films and stuff, 90 minutes is safe. Mm-hmm. Unless you got something really good. It better be really good. <laughs> and some of them even hit like the 80, 85 mark. And I, I love those too. It feels like a shotgun blast. <laughs> but but I, I love those too. You know, it's like, as long as you got your story across and you did it the way that you wanted to, I think that's going to shine through no matter what the timing amount is, you know? Um, but anyways, we have, um, we have a lot of area to cover in this part of the story. Um, but it's a lot of character building. It's a lot of world building. It's a lot of, you know, creating the apartments and, or creating the apartment and creating like this new lifestyle, I guess, for everybody in here. Um, so do y'all have any points that y'all want to get to about that? Cause that's, that's a very yeah. big part of this movie. I was going to say that I think this was my kind of take on the commentary of the movie as a whole. I mean, he puts in a lot of like social things here and there and that sort of stuff. Um, but the point about the zombies being drawn to a sense of normalcy by going shopping is paralleled by these people elevating their style and their little hideout with the stuff that they're taking when they have time to go out and get a couch and get a better couch and get a plant to put beside the couch and that kind of thing. They're not living that differently than the zombies that they see as absolute threats to themselves and that kind of thing. And I don't know if I'm reading too much in a subtext here or not, but that was my biggest takeaway from this. It's a really hedonistic kind of lifestyle, right? Mm -hmm. It's very just, there's nothing else for us to do, so let's try and make the best of it. And I kind of feel like the zombies weren't operating any differently. Mm -hmm. You know? know. What about you, Elsie? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I think that's that's a really good point on it. Um, and and then you also have that sort of sub because you could see a lot of early or 1970s sort of feminism going on because you had Fran going through it. And it's very much set up at a certain point. You know, there's the scene where they discover that she's pregnant and mm-hmm. and Peter asks Stephen if he wants to abort it. And then she Fran even points out. At one point, she was like, why are you asking him? You know, she tells Stephen, like, why is he asking you? And then the whole idea that Peter just knows how to do that. (laughs) Um, That kind of opens a whole other door. He's like, uh, you know, it's not too late and I know how. And you just go, Peter, what the (laughs) What in Philly? He can do it all. (laughs) I haven't always been a cop. (laughs) Right. 
um, which kind of raises an eyebrow about Peter. But I, I do like that subtext as well. It's weird because the subtext is there's kind of several different ones running. You know, there is the consumerism. There's the idea of complacency. And then there is the idea of like uh, of the feminism running through it as well um, with the Fran character where you see her, you know, because I think it's the first time in a Romero film where the 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 female lead really stands up for herself, you know, and she becomes a, a part of the group that's important, even though she's sort of marginalized at the beginning. She's very much marginalized at the beginning. Mm-hmm. You know, she's just kind of like um, the drag, I guess. It's like the three boys want to go out and do some fun stuff with the trucks and the <laughs> helicopter and shooting the things. And it's like, oh, Fran's complaining again. But then by the end of it, you know, Fran really becomes uh, an essential part of the group. And it's funny you're touching on that because, like, uh, there's one uh, piece of dialogue in particular, and I can't remember what they were discussing, but she makes the comment because Peter was like, well, there's three of us, so we can figure out how to do this. And she goes, um, there's four of us, first of all. Right. And I was kidding, but I was like, it was in Peter's head, it's like, yeah, you know, there's three of us and a woman. So. <laughs> yeah. right. And then she even says the line, which is a little on, on maybe a little on the nose, but she says, uh, there's four of us. There's four of us. Remember, I we all get a vote. <laughs> there you go, Fran. Go for it. At a girl. She was a great final girl. I mean, I felt like she was really aware of what was going on, too, like what was happening in terms standpoint but like as they were like characters as humans in the scenario i felt like despite peter kind of having that like you mentioned his rationale and his ability to kind of see a situation read the terrain and vision that keeps everybody alive she was doing something similar where she was kind of Mm -hmm. looking at the commentary yeah we are changing none of this is real Mm -hmm. like we like i and that's that's what i was going to bring up earlier about looking for subtext in films that don't take super seriously there's a little bit of guilt there i mean you're kind of making fun of yourself a little bit trying that hard to find something in a movie mm-hmm. like this you know because there are moments in this movie where there's peter's serving them a gourmet dinner in the middle of a you know i was like you've got to be fucking kidding me. <laughs> you know, there are genuinely laugh out loud roll your eyes silly moments in this movie, mm-hmm. right so for it to have so much to say without saying it is kind of you know and I think there's an evolution to some of these characters too. Like obviously there's one with Peter and I think uh, you kind of realize that Peter and Fran are going to be the two at the end because their conversation at the beginning, you actually, when, when they first leave in the helicopter, Fran's sitting next to uh, Peter and she looks at him and goes, have you left anybody behind? And he's like, yeah, I left some brothers behind. And she looks, I sh- you really can't make this shit up. This woman looks at him and goes, are like actual brothers or like street brothers? <laughs> he just looks at her and goes, both? Right. <laughs> oh, yeah. That line is actually cut out of all the other versions other than the long version. No kidding. The whole brother conversation? Yeah, it's not in any of the other versions. I mean, like, don't get me wrong. Like, I could see why. But at the same time, it's like they i mean but he still gets to make the abortion comment like you know what i mean like <laughs> and i think that's that's kind of showing where both of these characters have developed yeah. a little bit by the end of the movie yeah the brothers line is a little cringy it's a little cringe yeah <laughs> it it hit the ear real weird yeah ever would you say like, yeah, it, it it much much like the screwdriver <laughs> it's a little it's a little it's really 70s too 
know? Oh yeah. It's so outdated. That's yeah. Like, if you had said that to Ken Forey today, I don't care if he is a nice guy or not. He, that's how you get bodied in the street by anybody. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm going to my brother's house. Oh, your street brother's house? <laughs> um, but we get, uh, so we've kind of built this less than utopian terrar- terrarium, I guess, <laughs> that is now the mall. That's great. And, you know, we get uh, the the truck scene where I don't know what they were actually trying to accomplish. Can somebody enlighten me so, on that? I, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, LC, but I think they were trying to barricade the major entrances to the mall, like the big wide, like the truck entrances, for lack of a better way of putting it. It's just block all those. Yeah, they were trying to, to block them with the big trucks because at one point they were talking about all the doors are safety glass. So if the zombies don't have any leverage, they can't get enough to break it. Gotcha. So they're they're putting the the barricade there so the zombie won't have any leverage to really hit it. But they can still press up against it. You know, I mean, it's not like they just can't break it. Yeah, I loved that they still felt the need to have the helicopter in on this. They're like, we're going to be your eye in the sky. And I'm like, unless you plan on, like, you know, (laughs) shooting the zombies. (laughs) Because there's even, like, the part where Roger's getting into the, um, Roger's getting into the truck that he's trying to move. And they're like flying over top of them and you see the zombies come out and they're just like, go the other way. I'm like, they, what are you doing, dude? Right. Yeah, that's another moment of Steven's ineptitude where he's like, Roger, oh, wait a second, I'm in a helicopter. <laughs> Hold on, I'm going to put this message in a bottle. I'm going to drop it out of the helicopter and into the truck. Yeah. Just says behind you. Nowadays, that's where you would have the sequence where he's texting him, but he, he doesn't hear the text. Right. He, he left it on the, silent. He drops the phone underneath the gear shift. And just... Fuck, I left you not disturb on. Of course, yeah. we're getting fucked up. <laughs> um, so they do wind up getting the truck in front of the mall, and we kind of move to, um, you know, Roger's been bitten at this point, mm-hmm. well deserved. Um, and we kind of, again, we're trying to take care of him. He goes all zombo. You know, and I was telling Eric, this was actually like one of my favorite scenes in or like my favorite style of scene in a lot of movies when he's like, but we got him, though. Right, boss? We did it. And like he's dying, you know, or we thought so in that scene. The next scene, he's literally in the wheelbarrow and they're just kind of carting him around the fucking yeah. mall. <laughs> I, I, do, I do really love that scene because I, I think that really shows what Roger is meant to represent, you know, that sort of mm-hmm. militant thing. Where he screams out, uh, you know, we got we we beat him and we got it all. Mm-hmm. We and got all of them. We whipped all of them. We blew like, their asses off. <laughs> we whipped them, didn't we? Didn't we whip them? Yeah, we whipped them, Roger. We whipped them good. Not unlike a uh, boy would say, "Do I have a? Did I play a good game today, Father? Did you see that? <laughs> yeah, we got you know. It's kind of. I hate the word father. Father. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> See, that's okay. <laughs> Dad is fine. Father just comes off weird to me. Like that that's like shit that like people in cults say, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, father. Yeah, and then Roger has some unintentionally funny moments too when when like Peter's cradling him and Roger's just like, "Oh." oh. Doing that little thing with his hand. <laughs> the morphine kicked in. Oh yeah. But I have to say that when Roger dies, 
I don't know if you you guys felt the same way, but there is a little bit of you kind of miss Scott Reinecker's energy as an actor, you know? Yeah, I definitely did. That's that's that shit that you kind of I, I don't know when they're making a uh, like a platoon or uh, just any kind of movie like that. There's always that guy that's just a little too into it for his own good, you know, and you do miss that. That's an integral part of the, the cast. Right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it's it's funny, like how much uh, Romero really puts those kinds of moments in there, because I feel like it's a lot more in your face in his later movies, but it's a lot more subtle in his earlier where like it really does bounce back and forth between like these super comical moments and then these like super in-depth like human interaction, like because like some of the dialogue that he puts in uh, just for base character interactions is so funny and it's so like it's so real at the same time. Yeah, before we move off of Roger, I'll give you a piece of trivia about the actor Scott Reinecker. Fucking go. Scott Reinecker who played Roger later in his life was a speechwriter for a lot of political figures after he quit acting. Um, but the more interesting thing is that Scott Reinecker is actually a prince in Afghanistan. Wow. What the fuck? <laughs> his great, I don't know if it was his great-grandfather, his great-great-grandfather was one of the first um, Americans to, to go to Afghanistan, and he was made an honorary prince. So all of his male heirs are inherit the title of prince. So Scott Reinecker is actually a prince in Afghanistan. Can you imagine? No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a dad. How can I be a prince? <laughs> that is fucking wild trivia, though. Like, uh, you, you know, because you already look at it like, wow, you're in a movie. And it's like, wow, you're in a movie and you're a fucking prince. <laughs> yeah, Roger is a prince. Not like, you know, Purple Rain, but yeah. but it's close. It's real close. So we kind of move on to our last little bit, right? Because we're about to get inundated. If I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, yeah, the um, the concept being that they they kind of and this is per Peter's direction. He wants to take a full reload of all of the ammunition and everything and understand that this is probably like our last ride. Not only is this place going to be rotten if we don't clean up the bodies, but they're eventually going to keep coming back. So we need to establish a game plan. And while they're um, they end up on a roof somehow, I forget what the series of events is that they end up on a roof, but they are. Um, I, they maybe maintain. I, I don't even know that it matters. But this gang of like roving marauders, for a lack of a better way of putting it, sees them in the hotel or something, right? And that drives the plot forward in the the next direction, right? Because then we get the actual van rolling up, right? They spot they spot the helicopter on the roof. That's what mm. it is. Okay. So they make radio contact because for those of you listening that didn't know this, that's something you actually used to be able to do is you used to be able to find radio contact uh, via CB, which I guess that's what they had set up in the apartment, I'm assuming. And like, honestly, most vehicles were equipped with it, too, like because the van that they were in totally already had that built in, you know, and it was for like you know just traffic reports to talk to each other and you know help like hey help you can't call 911 in your fucking car in 78 kind of thing and it's just really funny like to hear these people kind of fuck with each other for a minute because they're trying to like like the the main the core group in the quote-unquote apartment are like trying to communicate with these guys because they've made contact they're just like how many of you are there and they're like three <laughs> just kidding there's like eight of us in here and like you hear the audio on the other side it's so fucked up because it's like 
three and you just hear like half a second of just like screeching laughing right. on the other side. They're like, I think something's wrong in this van. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then the entire caravan comes with the rolling thunder motorcycle gang. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All 2000 of them, apparently. Oh my God. But then like, it was so funny to see uh, Peter. This is like my favorite Peter scene in the whole fucking movie is he, because, you know, it's very, again, like referencing Walking Dead, you know, or Walking Dead taking this from here is it's just like the threat is not the zombies. The threat's the zombies at the beginning, but by the end of it, it's like you just avoid the zombies. What you can't avoid are people. Right. And they were like, well, once they break that glass, all those fucking zombies are coming in and they're going to deal with that and I'm going to kill them. <laughs> and he's doing like all these fucking tactical roles. And like, I think my favorite was, uh, once the heat of the battle is actually on, he like does this role from on the second tier and like rolls over and fucking goes prone and pulls the fucking rifle up and just domes one of the dudes. And I was like, Oh my God, it was like watching black dynamite. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he, he Roger. Uh, yeah, Peter gets right back. He takes. Remember, he takes off his like his like nice clothes and he puts the tactical <laughs> gear back on. Grabs his rifle and his bandoliers and he's ready to go. Yeah, I want Peter on my team, dude. I'm telling you, because like when they were running, when they were getting the like uh, gas canisters ablaze and they're like running through. I'm like, well, first of all, turn those off for a minute because you're not fucking using them. <laughs> you're just burning gas right now. And then we get out to the other side and the dudes that have the like what are essentially flamethrowers at this point are just like putting it on the ground and like not I, like I assume if you set one zombie on fire, other zombies will inherently catch a blaze at some point. Possibly. I kept thinking they were just going to shoot it. Yeah. Especially like if it's already lit, that would that's pretty much a fucking pipe bomb. <laughs> I think that the, the the sequence that was so funny for me was when the people break in and they realize that this is a looting situation and this is clearly what they've been doing however mm-hmm. long they've been together. They just grab, marauding and they, such. Yeah, they just grab whatever they can find. The first dude gets like an armful of which was hysterical to me. Yeah, they're grabbing like TVs and stuff. And I think one of the bikers even says to the other one, he's like, "What are you gonna watch on that?" Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know, man. Smashes it. They're robbing a bank. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, taking money that's no longer useful in any way. <laughs> um, and then and then Stephen has that. Well, I mean, Stephen really has that great line when he sees them doing that. And he's like, uh, it's ours. We took it. <laughs> this shit is ours. We claimed it. You're not taking it, even though it's you can do nothing with any of this. You know, really. It's mine, dude. I would have a fucking money fire every night. If it were the apocalypse, I would start my kindling with money every single night. It's not about, <laughs> it's about sending a message. <laughs> that is another big uh, fantasy fulfilled, I think, is the whole idea of having all this money. But then I, I guess it goes back to the theme of the movie where you go, you have it all, but what are you going to do with it? You know? Totally, totally. Um, and I know we were talking about now is probably when y'all have some of your favorite uh, zombie kills. Do y'all want to get into that? Yep. The cutlass dude. The dude with the cutlass <laughs> that rides by on the motorcycle and decapitates old girl like uh, <laughs> Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. It just takes it right off. And that was a clean cut, too. A lob, if you will. <laughs> yeah. It was a clean cut, but if you notice, the body st- still stood there for a few seconds. <laughs> Her Could shoulders are like eight inches higher than the rest of her torso. <laughs> Could it be that that wasn't a real zombie that they killed in this movie? <laughs> Changed my mind. Yeah. <laughs> another another one was um, well, one of the famous ones is the um, you know Savini with his machete knocks mm-hmm. it on and then sticks it in his head. You know, the machete zombie, which is just an old fashioned reverse trick. He just had it already on there with a slip cut out of it, and he pulled it back, and then they reversed the film. Yeah, um, I love that. Yeah, and I love like the boot too. Like that's always so cool to me because it's always like uh, like grindhouse sword in the stone when you're just ripping something out of a skull. <laughs> yeah. What about you? Do you have one in the sequence? Um, honestly, my favorite kills were all the people at this point. <laughs> I, I, I was, I, yeah, I was like, uh, my favorite part too was like, uh, I was making fun of the one who like pies one of the zombies and then he like he jumps into the uh bucket seat of (laughs) of the uh motorcycle and i was like yeah that's where you want to be in the motorcycle gang is some dude's bitch on the side Mm -hmm. and he like they when they're leaving uh peter comes down and he takes the rifle and he shoots him and he falls forward (laughs) he does a flip yeah he (laughs) do you want to see me do a front flip (laughs) because <laughs> like i get that like ultimately he would fall forward because the, the motorcycle is go- is going the other direction he's still gonna go back first instead mm-hmm. he just goes uh. he's also not gonna <laughs> jump out <laughs> <laughs> and when he hits the ground there's all there's already a puddle of blood there nice and then, that's your mark <laughs> of course there's still here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. preset blood oh that's incredible so now we kind of have like the the arc to triumph right now it's you know we're down to fran and uh peter Mm -hmm. you know as the magical two uh steven has been iced at Mm -hmm. this point because he he was in an elevator yeah and he was never long for this world anyways Mm -hmm. he was always the weakest link and kind of got to piggyback on the fact that peter was the real man Mm mm-hmm one thing I have to give Steven is he he Romero loved what the actor David Ng did when he became a zombie because you know he had the leg twisted mm-hmm. and this whole thing, and apparently when uh, David Ng did that, Romero just went nuts. He was like, "Oh yeah, King Zombie man." <laughs> <laughs> That's a great Romero impression. <laughs> and, uh, and I'll tell you a, a quick thing about David Ng who played Steven. I was doing a convention in. in uh, it was somewhere, it might have been Baltimore, it might have been New Jersey, I'm not sure. I met a guy, and the guy, I went to a store to get a drink, and the guy was like, um, so what are you in town for? He was just making conversation. I said, well, I'm an actor in horror films, I'm doing this, uh, I'm doing a convention. And the guy goes, really, horror films? You know, the guy, my boss at work was in a horror movie. And I said, who's your boss? And he said, David M.G. And I was like, fucking Steven from Dawn of the Dead. This guy worked, this guy's boss is Steven. So. He used all this movie money to be somebody else's boss. And that, and I respect that. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, David M.G. Quit, quit acting a long time before um, Scott Reinecker and everything else. And he went out there and made a, uh, an honest wage. More but power every, to him. 
every so often though he'll he'll pop up at a every so often he'll do a convention but it's very rare and he looks i mean he's great seeing david mg now knowing what he looked like as steven as flyboy is crazy because he looks like everybody's favorite grandpa <laughs> just looks like a really sweet grandpa looking it up now <laughs> that's incredible i'll definitely have to keep my ear to the ground because we definitely love going to conventions we go to mad monster pretty often um we actually really wanted to go to um uh atlanta this year but we instead wound up going to pittsburgh so that was the patreon budget <laughs> like oh yeah that's my favorite grandfather already <laughs> um, i've never met him personally and i've never met scott reinecker who played roger because he doesn't really do a lot of conventions either i've met uh ken furry and gaylene ross who played fran is actually an academy award-winning documentarian that's insane she's directed documentaries now that's so cool um i'll I'll definitely have to look into that because i i definitely enjoy watching a lot of documentaries as well mostly about the ocean though like i don't know it's like it's like i don't have a fish tank in my house so i so i wind up just watching shit about whale sharks <laughs> um but anyways we get up to uh you know the final exit and it's like this uh, one of the continuity errors that i noticed uh was you know um fran has gotten to the roof already and peter is like about to hold down the fort as it were and the door like actually physically opens like it pushes open and then it snaps back closed like they can't get in and i was like but the door's open i saw i saw the latch when it opened (laughs) um and then we get up into uh honestly them sailing away into the night Mm -hmm. i did want to remark on the fact that i thought that it was interesting that uh he instinctively returned to the safe room Oh that, yeah. That piece of like what he was still holding on to. This is what I have to do. I got to get back to my you know, and that my not wife. Ended up endangering everybody else. I thought that was that was a really cool detail. Yeah, that's a good that's a good uh, thing to point out there because that kind of plays into you know the people that the zombies have come back to the mall because they like they say they want to be there they just don't know why, and then with uh, Steve well they the reason they want to be there is because they spent all that fucking money when they were alive. Yeah. <laughs> They're like pulling their MasterCard out of their fucking guts. <laughs> right. They're just trying to figure out what to buy. Uh, but Steven, you know, he he just wants to get back up there because he knows that's where he was trying to get to. <laughs> trying to get up there. So by God, he's getting up there and he knows how to get there. He knows that that fake wall is there. He can still remember that much. <laughs> and he guides the rest of the zombies all the way through. Yeah, I still didn't understand why Peter waited when he could have just waited at the top of the like stairwell thing and just shot all the zombies as they were coming up. Mm-hmm. And then when the helicopter was ready to leave, they could just leave. That was an absurdly advantageous point. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I guess maybe you could say, well, maybe he'd already decided he was just going to end it all or something, but I did I, have that thought too, where he was just kind of like, this is where it ends. Cause there were zombies that were on the roof too, when he got up there. So I didn't know if this was like World War Z style where they climbed up or. Well, well, one of the worst uh, musical cues, I have to say, is got to be the do 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 do. I'm like, oh, my God, George. <laughs> that 18 ass shit that was playing. <laughs> yeah. 
That's the worst musical cue. That is not in the Argento version, by the way. Is it Goblin? It's Goblin. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> that's that's what I wanted to hear. That's why I need... So what we need to do is actually splice the two movies together I was, I was just about to say this and make the perfect version of is it. Is there a fifth disc in your box set that has the soundtrack from it? I wish. Uh, I'm surprised no one has done that, where they just took out all the 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 stock music mm-hmm. Lulu and all that shit get rid of all that you can leave the muzak because that's another george romero thing you know the famous robot chicken tune yeah the, totally yeah. <laughs> that's all stock music too and a lot of that is not in the argento cut a lot of like the the mall muzak that's so famous is not in argento's version well uh, unfortunately the version that we had did not end on goblin but it did end with uh peter and fran sailing off into mm-hmm. the night or through the sky or something into the great unknown yeah into, into the great unknown um so let's uh let's get some final thoughts and then we'll talk about uh some of the stuff that you've got uh coming up lc um and then after that uh we will have our patreon interview so with uh, that being said, Eric, what what are some of your final thoughts on this movie? Um, I think I've gone into detail about what I really took away from this movie in terms of like the commentary and the subtext and things of that nature. But I really appreciate movies like this because they toe that line um, between being comedic and being horror and being you know at times terrifying and at turn you know you're crying you're laughing so hard and shit. And I think that's so necessary um, when you're dealing with something like this. Um, and it's just something that I appreciate seeing, like, uh, taken seriously, but not too seriously. It's kind of fun. What about you, Elsie? Yeah, I, I do. Like I said, uh, like at the start of the show, uh, it was a very influential movie for me as a young person watching it and wanting to be in the movies. And especially not so much as an actor. There were other things as an actor, but uh, as a as a filmmaker, certainly. Um and I, I think it it's fun. I think there's, uh, you know, one last bit of trivia on it. You know, the original ending of the movie was more like Night of the Living Dead, where everybody died. Mm-hmm. You know, the original script apparently had Peter actually shot himself. He killed himself. He didn't. There was no doodly loo. Um, <laughs> With a fucking Derringer. Yeah. He just shot himself. And then at the end of the movie, Fran realizes there's nowhere else to go. So she puts her she stands up out of the helicopter and puts her head up into the rotors and kills herself and her baby. And then the original script ended That's so with, awesome. The, the original <laughs> script ended with the sun coming up and then the helicopter running out of gas and it and the rotors slowing down and then you realize they would have not had enough gas to get anywhere anyway. So that's like actually a reverse miss. Well, that's also that's a really cool thing to know because that uh, actually translates to the Dawn of the Dead remake when they leave on the boat because yeah. they never had enough gas to get anywhere from the get go. So that is really eye opening. Yeah. That's so cool. And they uh, Romero changed it because he saw the bright colors and the the green skin and the red blood, and he was like, "This is a comic book now." Mm-hmm. So we can't have a dark ending. He, I think what he had in his mind when he wrote it was dark, like mm-hmm. Night of the Living Dead kind of dark. And then all the bright colors and stuff, I guess it just, he thought it was, had lightened it up. 
So he's His like, heart grew he? three sizes that day. <laughs> he wrote the the happy ending to uh, compensate for that because he didn't think that the that the tragic ending would uh, would work uh, with the movie that he was making. That ironically makes me sad. <laughs> that's my final thought. I like it. I fucking love George Romero and like anything anything that that man touches i fucking love so i was really excited when this was your pick today um especially since the i I was really excited the 50th anniversary of the crazies was uh two weeks ago so it's been like super romero filled since pittsburgh which has been really cool um don't mind that one yeah, don't don't mind that at all. It's been it's been very zombie fueled, which has been cool because I'm not the biggest zombie guy. I, I mean, again, I sure. lo- I love George Romero, um, and there it takes a lot for certain uh, people to bring that to life and do that really well. And I think that obviously him being like the godfather of it <laughs> is it speaks for itself. Yeah. And this this movie attests to that, you know. Um, and I love the comic book vibe now that you've pointed it out, like the coloration, like, and I, that's why I was so in love with the blood, the explosions, the fucking coloration against the skin. It was all set up so well. Do you feel like George Romero and Alan Moore? Yeah, totally. I think they would have. Well, I don't know. Alan Moore's kind of an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> so I've heard. <laughs> Anyways, uh, that was absolutely incredible. Elsie, tell us about what you got going on this year, because you have a lot of shit coming out for 2023. Well, um, I had a movie come out earlier in the year called Party Bus, which people can check out. It's on all the streaming services. Amazon, I know it's on Amazon. Uh, I have a number of movies coming out as an actor. Uh, Phantom Fun World, Late Checkout, uh, The House Among the Trees, Butcher's Bluff, uh, go away. Feel like I'm forgetting something, but if I did, Watchdog, and, is Watchdog coming out this year. Uh, Watchdog. Well, yeah, that one I directed. Mm-hmm. Uh, Times Up is coming out first, which is a long-awaited movie that I directed with myself. I act in it. I also directed it, and uh, Felicia Rose is in it. Jonathan Tierston, uh, Hannah Fearman, Damien Maffei, uh, Cheney Morrow. Um, and a bunch of, of other Dave Sheridan, um, and uh, but yeah, and Watchdog is a movie that we just finished up the the cut for. We're going to distribution now, so I don't know if it'll come out this year, but I would hope it would come out at the very latest, early next year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I talked to Lucas Dunaway about it a little bit. Not like obviously any any spoilers or anything like that, but. I'm very excited for that one, too. I'm very excited to see the directorial cut. Well, Watchdog is the proudest I've ever been of anything I've directed. Hell fucking yeah, brother. That's incredible. Um, Do you think that there is a lot to be said about uh, an actor that goes into the directing side of things? Like, Do you think it helps your crew more? I think you can bring into a lot of uh, you can bring into the situation a lot of stuff that maybe other people wouldn't think about in terms of 
scheduling in terms of when you have makeup effects, how do you schedule that? Obviously, you, you don't want to have an actor that's there for, for you know, to five hours of makeup and you shoot one scene and then five hours. Because you know. I've been on that as an actor. I've been on makeup before, full makeup, and then you'll sit around for 12 hours. And it's just a waste of time. It's a waste of money and stuff like that. So when you have those sorts of experiences, I think it really helps you schedule things uh, having to do with acting and how scenes should be shot like the continuity of how an emotion would ha would travel from the beginning to the end with the character arcs and stuff i mean a lot of that i bring into it uh but i'm i'm really into scheduling and i'm i'm very much a you know dot your i's and cross your t's kind of guy in general so i definitely bring that into directing uh and watchdog it really was wonderful a great group of people and uh, but first, time's up. Time's up is coming out in the summer, and uh, that's a good old-fashioned slasher movie. Fuck yeah! Well, we'll definitely be posting and sharing everything as everything's coming up. We love supporting uh, the horror community, and we just think what everybody's doing right now is so fucking cool. Especially yourself, you know. We're really excited with. I actually didn't know that you were on uh, Tyler Horner's project as well. That's really awesome. Um, Great. That character I played in that was a lot of fun. I think people are gonna like it. Hell yeah. Well, if you guys want to... That's the shirt from it, by the way. Oh, sick. Oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> well, if you guys want to hear more about that, make sure you check us out on our Patreon. Again, that's $3 a month, so less than a gallon of gas, which we can confirm up and down the East Coast now at this point after doing our travels. Uh, so if you want to hear a little bit more about what LC's got going on this year, again, check us out on the Patreon page. And Elsie, thank you so much for fucking joining us this week. Give it up. Eric's yeah. on sound. <laughs> thank you. A lot of fun. Absolutely. Can't wait to have you back on after all this stuff goes out. So thank you guys once again for joining us. And thank you, Elsie, one more time for joining us. We're at Creeks, at Cracks, and we laugh with the creatures that go bump in the night.